goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. everyone, welcome to another episode of Data Transformers. I'm pleased to have with us today Adita Karkera. She is the CDO Executive Advisor at Deloitte. Adita, welcome to today's podcast. Hi Peggy, hi Ramesh. Thank you so much for having me here today and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So welcome Adita. Adita, I just wanted to share with everyone that we first met at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. I was actually um, lecturing one of the classes and I know you were one of the students there. Can you please you know, just share with us uh, the, the program that you're studying at and also um, your role at Deloitte? Yeah, happy to, Peggy. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I think we've been connected socially for a while, but it was awesome just meeting you. Um, uh, more personally during the session at the University of Arkansas Little Rock where I'm pursuing my doctorate in information quality. Um, as for my role at Deloitte, I transitioned to Deloitte about uh, four months ago as a CDO executive advisor. Uh, there I'm supporting uh, chief data officers both in the federal and the state government space with their CDO data AI strategies kind of meeting them wherever they are in their journeys and uh, supporting them with their strategies. Um, I'm also serving as a fellow with the Deloitte AI Institute for Government to help advance government's use and regulation of AI. Adita, can you tell us more about the AI Institute for Government at Deloitte and what does it mean to be a fellow? Yeah, sure, Peggy. So uh, the Deloitte AI Institute for Government is uh, part of the broader global Deloitte AI Institute, uh, but this institute is specifically focused on government needs. Uh, it was created to advance applied AI in the public sector by building a cross-sector community for research and innovation. Uh, would think of it uh, more as a hub for focusing on all things related to the adoption and use of AI technology and government. Uh, the idea is to advance the use of AI for public good. Hmm. And, and fellows are really an internal cohort of senior AI and data science subject matter experts who have extensive backgrounds as uh, either prior government officials or trusted advisors to our government clients and who are bringing in a more holistic view of AI, its challenges, and possible solutions specifically for government. It's a great, Adita. So great to have you here. And uh, so as you mentioned, you uh, started at Deloitte uh, much more recently. And then prior to that, uh, you worked for a, a state organization. So one of the things that I really want to understand, uh, so after the transition, so how are the, the chief data officers uh, from your perspective are implementing the strategies at, at a federal level compared to what you have seen at the state level? Yeah, yeah, thank you for that question, Ramesh. Um, at the federal level, the foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act of 2018 uh, 
the, the act that created and led to the appointment of over 70 federal CDOs. I think, uh, I wanna say there are almost 79 CDOs today in the federal government that have been identified. And these CDOs have come together to create the federal CDO council. And, and basically the idea of the CDO council was to share information on best practices, collaborate together in implementing the federal data strategy. Uh, they have a very clear statutory mandate and a, and a pretty aggressive action plan actually on how to leverage data as a, as a strategic asset, right? So these CDOs have been clearly very hard at work balancing operational needs uh, with the requirements of the data strategy. Uh, the data strategy itself at the federal level has some very clear action steps around, uh, around leveraging data. Uh, and it goes all the way from creating, identifying, publishing data inventories, uh, creating data governance bodies, and even increasing staff data skills and fluency. Uh, so there's a lot going on uh, in the federal government with the federal state CDO, federal CDOs being uh, very focused on delivering the action items that I mentioned in the data strategy. Um, I think just recently, a few weeks ago, uh, Ted Kauk, who's the CDO at USDA and is also the CDO council chair, mm -hmm. released uh, a review report of the first active year of the council. So they've just completed the first active year. Um, I, I've got to say the work of the federal CDOs is very challenging. Uh, and, and I can't say enough about the work they're spearheading, whether it's about uh, organizing disparate data activities, whether it's about consolidating siloed data. I mean, there, there's a lot of work going on that I don't think all of us citizens realize on the work they're doing to truly harness the power of data for public good. Um, so, so all of that on the federal side. Now, if you switch over to the state level initiatives, uh, I guess the 50 states don't have one federal data strategy uh, right to follow. Mm -hmm. The different states have uh, been on different levels of maturity with their state data journeys. Uh, some have data strategies, some don't. Uh, some states don't today even have a de facto or an appointed CDO. I, I want to say the last time that I checked, uh, there were about 25 states, give and take, that had identified CDOs. Hmm. Uh, some have enabling legislation laying down the CDOs roles and responsibilities and some don't. So there's, while the roles, responsibilities of the CDOs have a lot of similarities at the state and federal level, I think, I think the big difference there definitely is that the federal CDOs have a data strategy to follow and action steps to follow while the states, I think some of them are still scrambling with what that role of the CDO should look like, what are the duties for that role. And not all states I feel have invested the necessary resources to realize data's inherent value, right? So, uh, so, so some, some differences while a whole bunch of similarities as well. Very, very interesting. Um, and Adita, I know certainly in the private sector, uh, machine learning and AI are still new concepts that are being more in the research and development stage. Um, when it comes to the U.S. government, uh, do you think the U.S. government is still struggling to understand what artificial intelligence is and how can we improve on the education? Yeah, well, Yes, we cannot deny that AI is a powerful tool, right? 
I think in the government sector, just, just like with any other industry, I think there is an overwhelming sense of curiosity about what is AI? How can it be applied? Um, how can it be integrated into our work? And, and the focus here is not only to bring cost and operational efficiencies, but, but the focus in the public sector, of course, is how it can be used to enhance customer experiences, citizen experiences. But like I said, with any other industry, AI adoption and deployment varies from organization to organization, and government is no different. Each government organization, I feel, is at a different level of their AI journey. <laughs> now, now, whether that is uh, they're just starting off and they're experimenting with AI, or whether it is uh, developing an AI strategy, or whether they're mature and they're leveraging AI at scale for certain mission critical problems. So I think there's a lot of variance uh, together with the curiosity and how, how they're maturing that journey. Um, as far as the education that you talked about, I feel like organizations that are still exploring their road to AI, I'd want to say probably a first great step for them is to start orienting and educating themselves on what AI is, of course. And then I guess I would say, let's start asking the question, how can AI help us improve our processes and enhance our citizen experiences? For government, I think it is critical that we focus on using technology to make our citizen experiences better. I mean, AI consists of everything, right? From process robotics, um, machine learning to optimization. Mm -hmm. I think if we start by asking the specific question of how AI will help improve our processes and our citizen experiences, that will help us define the vision, the focus, the management, the technology, and all the other considerations and the capabilities that come with the use of AI. Creating that overall integrated AI strategy will help organizations get on the right track. And of course, you know, uh, for organizations or government leaders looking to learn more about AI, there's also a breadth of information available through the Deloitte AI Institute for Government that I mentioned before. So Aditya, it's interesting listening to the conversation here that it says AI and ML is not just a technology domain itself, like uh, education is only for IT people. Some of the you know previous ERP, you know, if, if the IT folks understand it, it's good. But AI ML has transcended to the entire from the private perspective of the business in the context of the government, the entire government. So that means there is a need for reskilling. There is a need for upskilling. Uh, that that is pretty significant. So, what kind of a, uh, upskilling efforts are needed in the government to make sure that the government is ready for AI ML? Yeah, great question, Ramesh. And I, and I think that's a challenge which we're facing in government for sure. But I think that's a challenge that all industries are dealing with today, right? How do we handle uh, upskilling our staff and making them uh, data and rather AI literate, right? So in my mind, there are two specific streams that come uh, that we need to probably focus on. First, I think data and AI literacy, like I said, is, is a big one. Mm. Data analytics and big data have become, have become mainstream. They've become routine in business strategy today, right? It becomes increasingly important that all levels of our workforce, whether it's C-suite leaders or others, they all need to be data literate. They need to start embracing that future of work, like we say, right? Uh, leadership needs to understand that the importance of upskilling 
and supporting current employees is going to have those long-term benefits. That is the only way they can adapt to AI technology and new processes. Um, I, I think it's a culture thing. It, it comes down to promoting a culture of learning and development to grow these new skills and as well as encourage innovation. I think leaders need to create new opportunities for the workers to excel in this area. And now that could be in the way of uh, providing development pathways, it could be with trainings, it could be with communications and conversations. I mean, all of that, I think, go hand in hand to create that AI-ready workforce that we talk about. Uh, the second effort I, I want to focus is uh, we need to address the fears and the concerns of the workforce right. around the role of AI in organizations. Correct. Um, and Ramesh, I say that because I've heard firsthand from government leaders that when they first start talking about AI in their organizations, mm -hmm. people often think about the Terminator. So there was some fear. There's some fear. Uh, we know humans and machines are an inevitable part of the future. Leadership now must explain the ways in which AI can benefit the employee experience. I think they need to have those conversations and communications is key to help eliminate those fears and help the workers understand that we are focusing on eliminating administrative and repetitive tasks. And this will allow them to open up the time for more meaningful and productive work for their employees. Um, and the more we get our workforce, comfortable with the idea of, uh, of machines and understanding how machines and AI work, I think, I think we will be able to streamline our more critical human manpower for more meaningful uh, and rather more significant contributions directed towards mission problems. Uh, so the more I think the organizations can do to increase their efforts to upskill and have those critical conversations with their employees and the workforce, the stronger that uh, AI-ready workforce is gonna look like for the future. So Aditha, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, so Aditha Karkera was born to be a data leader. Like that's, so it almost seems like a, this is the path you always wanted to take. So I could be totally off, you know, on that uh, assumption. So I just want to understand a little bit more about you. So uh, how did you get into this role? So if you could tell us a little bit uh, more about your journey. Hey, well, well, that's a very kind comment from you, Ramesh. Thank you for that. Well, um, I did not know that I would be here when I was growing up. I grew up in a small town in the northern part of India called Allahabad, which is uh, very close to the capital city of New Delhi. Um, and in my sophomore year, I made a 96% um, on the course of computer science. Great. And even with that score, I wasn't really sure if that if computers or that line is what I wanted to pursue. I, I was very interested in commerce and I was torn between uh, commerce and computer science. So I went on to college for commerce, hmm. but at the same time, I completed several educational computer diplomas, uh, things like computer integrated management and, uh, and for self-study, I did several certifications from Microsoft. 
In fact, you're taking me way back on memory lane. And uh, my interest was sparked with data and databases uh, at that time. And I did uh, a certification on Microsoft SQL Server 7, wow. which goes way back. Uh, and so I was one of the first in the region to actually get a Microsoft Certified Database Administrator certification. Wow. Uh, from then on, I started doing some volunteer work with the community, and that really sparked my interest with data and databases. Uh, you know, never did I think that this is what I would actually be doing, but who knows that when you're in the early years of schooling, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's been a fantastic journey from, uh, from that stage on to uh, spending 21 years in, in the public sector serving the state of Arkansas, and now with Deloitte serving the broader public sector with the federal and state agencies. Adisha, another question for you is around, um, you really your career journey, and I, I think you laid it out really well, um, but uh, many of the previous um, uh, guest, uh, guest speakers have also talked about what we call career defining moments. So I wanted to, uh, to know if you could share um, uh, any, uh, you know, sponsors or any, any events that really changed uh, your direction in, in your career or, or helped, um, you know, just spark your, your love for data? One major pivoting point in my career surely was when uh, I was asked to serve as the deputy CDO for the state of Arkansas. Hmm. Uh, I had already been serving in several different uh, capacities, different roles and titles, all in the data space with the state. Uh, but when I was asked to step into that role, uh, I, I think that that was a pivoting point for me when I had to expand my vision from not just catering to a handful of departments or agencies, but really opening up my vision and landscape to the entire entire state's data. And, and that perspective uh, of shifting from a few agencies to a statewide landscape, I think that definitely was a pivoting point for me. Uh, in my passion for this field. Um, one of the first projects that I took up with that uh, title was uh, uh, doing an inventory of all the statewide data assets. Uh, we hadn't ever done that in a statewide manner before. And just connecting with the different uh, executive leaders around the state, understanding their pain points and kind of helping them create the data inventory and starting to see them use and leverage that for actual business problems and decision-making uh, was satisfying. I mean, public service by itself is a satisfying job role, but just helping them create that inventory and actually use that inventory for business decisions was satisfying in a whole different level. Great. So Adita, so uh, one of the things, the observations, right, uh, that women in technology in general and women specifically in the data area, there is a lot of gap in terms of the percentage of women representing the percentage of uh, uh, women graduates, uh, right, in, in the space. Uh, but uh, so it's a tremendous accomplishment for you to actually break through to be a CDO of the state level and also um, being recognized as the you know, data leader of the year by uh, the women in technology last fall, right? So that's it's, it's congratulations on that one. 
and uh, you've been an advocate uh, for women in tech and data. And I believe you are a founding member of uh, WLDA, um, the Women Leaders in Data and AI as well. So you, you've been doing a lot of work in this space, uh, but still we see a lot of gaps. Uh, we spoke to you know, quite a few guests on, uh, on the show, gaps in, with respect to positions, right, the CDO roles and things like that, or even a gaps with respect to even the pay scale, right? So that also came across. So what do you think needs to be done to fix this gap? Yeah, thank you, Ramesh, for that. Uh, I, I, I think you hit a, a really passionate point for me. Uh, the gender gap has, has changed over time, I think. But there is still so much more that we need to do. Um, in 2020, a survey, uh, and, and I have, I can share a link for that later on if needed, uh, showed us that women represented roughly 47% of the US labor workforce. Mm -hmm. But only 26% of that was data and AI positions in the workforce. That's quite a blaring gap. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, Deloitte recently published a report uh, specifically on this topic uh, of women in AI. And I actually encourage uh, you and the listeners to go out and read it. It's, it's very eye-opening. Um, with external research uh, and conversation with female executives, I think it is uh, clearly established that the reason that there are not more women in AI, typically starts long before a young girl enters the working world. Social and cultural influences, uh, stereotypes that girls are not as capable as boys in math or STEM. I mean, I can go on with the reasons, but uh, I, think, I think it needs a social and cultural change and influence to bring about that change. Um, also add to that the lack of active mentors and influencers in the industry. Um, again, again, if you look at the research, it clearly shows that the young women that did not have direct influence to get into STEM, for example, for example, they did not have an aunt or a mother or a close friend that worked in the science or the STEM field or they weren't sent to an engineering camp in middle school, they likely would not have pursued a path towards data or AI. So I, I cannot stress the importance of active mentors and influencers. Um, another aspect is that I know organizations are focusing on recruiting efforts to recruit more women. Mm -hmm. That's great, but but it all also has to start with fostering an inclusive culture and improving access and opportunities for growth for the women that you're recruiting. Again, real mentorship uh, from women who walked down this path, trailblazers like Peggy, uh, you know, they are the ones who are out there who will promote the curiosity for these young leaders and aspiring data leaders. Um, I mean, overall, I think AI is still a very nascent field. Yeah. Relatively few people have leading expertise here. I feel there is still time for organizations to step up and close that gender gap and close that salary gap for women in AI. 
there's so much more organizations can still do to bring more women in their AI teams and uh, fill that gap. Uh, and, and in fact, I mean, it, it is already clearly proven that, you know, we need to have more women in AI to uh, identify and reduce biases in AI models. So there, there's a lot that we can and we should be doing. And I think that there is time to realize the value of gender diversity that AI can offer. Um, starting back from you know, the statistics that I posted above, I mean, I think the statistics have gotten better, but there's still so much work to be done. And, and for any budding women uh, listeners on there, I, would, I, I wanna assure you that the future for women in AI is promising. Mm. You know, and, and if there is anyone who wants to talk more about it, please reach out to me and uh, happy to share my email and uh, social contacts would, would love to talk and uh, help uh, anyone who's looking for any assistance in that field. Thank you so much, Adita. And we certainly need more generous um, women leaders like yourself to, to really help the next generation of women leaders. So. I love the fact that you you offered yourself uh, to to our listeners, Adita. Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much uh, for your time, Adita. So well, well, thank you for those uh, comments and thank you for the best wishes. I it has been a pleasure talking to both Peggy and you today. So thank you for having me on this. Thank you for joining us today, Adita. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.